with my friends for the Be Right to Hate podcast. I am your host, Will Kavolksworld.com, and I am so incredibly grateful that you have taken the time to join me for another great episode. Here at the D-Rate to Hate podcast, we're all about bettering the world one attitude at a time. You know, we did not create the hate, but with your help, we can derate the hate. It starts with each of us as an individual. So what have you done today to make your life a better life? What have you done today to make the world a better place? Making your life a better life starts with individual accountability. How we act, how we react, no matter what happens to us, how we react to it makes the difference. Friends, one of the great things about a bad attitude is we as individuals have the power to change it. One great way to do that, share the D-Rate the Hate podcast. Share it with your network of friends. Get them to share it. Subscribe. Leave us ratings and feedback. Always greatly appreciated. And with that, let's go. Friends, I just have to tell you that we have an incredible episode for you today. Now, This episode is actually a group episode, one of a few that I've done so far, but a very, very important one on a very important topic. This especially will mean a lot to parents out there concerned about their kids' education and the kinds of things that are being taught in our schools today. A few months back, my cousin brought to my attention an assignment that his daughter, his 8th grade daughter, in a school in northwest Iowa had received in one of her classes, regarding the book Stamped, Racism, Anti-Racism, and You by Ibram X. Kendi. If you are not familiar with the works of Ibram X. Kendi, you will soon find out how much of a lightning rod he actually is, the kind of hateful rhetoric that he uses towards the United States of America, white people, and uh, basically equates every single thing negative that's ever happened to any person of African descent to white people, white privilege, and to racism. While some of that is true, his version of revisionist history and his blatant disregard for facts when it comes to so many things are just very, very hateful and very painful when I think about how that is being taught to the children in our school systems today. So when Chad brought this to my attention, I thought I need to get together a panel of people who have read this book and who have seen firsthand what this kind of thing does to children in our education system. So in this episode, I am joined by Yael Levin, a communications officer and chapter president for the Central Virginia chapter of No Left Turn in Education. My friend Tony Kinnett, who you may remember from episode 77, is the president and founder of the Chalkboard Review. Then Moshe Levy recently had an article in the FAIR, Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism, substack, talking about the book Stamped for Kids. Uh, after it was assigned to one of his daughters in her private school in New Jersey. And then my cousin Chad to talk a little bit about the assignment that was assigned to his daughter that got this whole thing started. Buckle up, friends. We got a great episode, a great conversation with a great panel of guests. I think you're going to find it very informative and uh, a little bit disturbing. So with that, let's go. All right. Well, welcome, friends, to this special group edition of the D-Rate the Hate podcast. 
I'm obviously Wilk, and I appreciate each and every one of you being here with me today. Today's discussion is going to be on the book Stamped, both the adult version and the so-called kids version that uh, we know that some children have been assigned in our public and private school systems. I, uh, I was introduced to this book by my cousin Chad, who is with us on this call today. And uh, so he's going to be talking a little bit about that. I've invited here today my friend Tony from the Chalkboard Review. Tony has been a previous guest on the Derate the Hate podcast, and I appreciate you being here, Tony. Moshe is, uh, has, has just recently had an article published on the FAIR Substack. He, too, has a daughter in school who had stamped for kids assigned to her. And uh, I read the article and uh, was lucky enough to get a hold of Moshe. Very grateful to have him on the podcast with us as well. And Yael Levin is, uh, is representing the organization No Left Turn in Education. I have had uh, Dr. Elena Fishbein from No Left Turn on the educate uh, No Left Turn in Education on the podcast a couple times, and uh, Yael is, has has uh, volunteered to join us today. She has read the book Stamped and uh, is going to represent No Left Turn in Education. So, thank you all very much for being here. And uh, I'm going to start off with Chad because Chad is the one that came to me and asked me, you know, if I, if I'd heard of Ibram X. Kendi or, or the book stamped and uh, sent me the, basically the assignment that had been passed on to his daughter and uh, who attends a public school in Northwest Iowa and uh, just asked me my thoughts on it. And uh, cause he knows that I do stuff like this and, and uh, obviously hosting the derate the hate podcast there is uh, there's not a lot as much, uh, not as very much as hateful when it comes to uh, assigning things to our kids than assigning something like stamp. So, Chad, why don't you kind of take it from there for a minute? Tell us how this came to your attention and uh, what your first thoughts on the deal were. Well, you know, I was, I was kind of sitting around with my kids and I try to take a little bit of interest in, in what they're, what they're doing. And, uh, you know, we were, I don't remember what we were, we were trying to, trying to do something as a family. And my daughter had an assignment that she had to get done. And, uh, it was a book, you know, and I thought, well, you know, heck, maybe, uh, maybe it's a book I've read. Maybe I could help out. And so she, she hands me the book and, um, it was the, the Kendi book that we're talking about here. And I, I recognized the name right off. Um, not that I'd read his stuff, but I just, uh, he's, he's just kind of a lightning rod, I guess is the, is the term that I would use. And, uh, it's, it's a lot of shock and awe type stuff. And, uh, and I, and I had to do a double take and I thought, oh, that can't be right. And so I looked him up, you know, cause I thought I must be thinking of somebody else. It just took me completely off guard. And then I, I said, well, can I see the assignment? And, you know, and, uh, that's the one that I shared with you. And it was just, I, I couldn't believe what I was reading. You know, I, I never would have in a million years thought, I mean, this is the school that I graduated from, you know, small town, Northwest Iowa, uh, consolidated with like, you know, like six schools, like all these little, uh, little, uh, schools are around here. And, uh, you know, real conservative base. And I don't think that that's really even a, a point here, but it just, 
this is this is so far mainstream and so far left and so uh, it's just so far out there i just couldn't i couldn't believe it um so i read through the i read through the questions that were assigned i had a uh, you know a, a little bit of a discussion with my daughter and my son was sitting there and he said oh yeah i've had to go through i've had to read this twice already so this isn't just something that popped up this year you know my son is going to be a senior this year he had to read some flavor of it in uh, in middle school and then he was also assigned from the same teacher in high school so um, they've been pushing this stuff for for a while now you know and the kids didn't really understand what they were reading you know and, and i guess you know just just looking over i said you know the, the closest thing that i can really equate this to is like you know when we were kids we we read the salem witch trials and things like that and that's kind of how i i played it with them i said you know this everything you're reading here is you know it's kind of it's kind of that whole that whole movement uh kendyism or whatever they want to call it um now but you know, once you're, once you're accused of being racist, there's no way of getting away from it. You know, it's, it's, a uh, you can't, you can't deny it. The only thing you could do is, is go far enough, uh, in their direction to prove that you are, you know, if you, if you try to wiggle, it's like quicksand, you know, you just, you just can't get away from it and how, uh, just, I don't know, it's one point of view. It's, it's very unfair. And, and I guess the way I've always looked at and this is just my my opinion, but the way I always looked at it is, uh, you should be able to take a statement and put any color or any you know religion, race, it doesn't matter. And and if you can't do that, if you if it doesn't pass that test, then uh, then it, then it's wrong. You know that's just the way I grew up, right? Sure. Yeah. So everybody's got their own opinions, and and that's what that's why we live in this country. You know. If ever, if everybody in this country just automatically started out with, you know, as a millionaire with, you know, with, with all the great things and there was no, there was no up, right. I mean, that you're not talking about the United States anymore. You're talking about someplace else and that place doesn't exist. Right. So, right, um, right. so I don't know. I don't know. That was just, yeah. that was my first reaction. Um, and then I, I talked, I started to look at some of the laws on the books here in Iowa and I thought, well, this isn't even legal in Iowa, you know? Right. And, uh, and so I started contacting some representatives and school board stuff like that. And, um, I haven't really pursued it too far, too fast. It's funny. Well, it's kind of ironic, but my, my ex wife, the kid's uh, parent or mother is actually the principal, uh, at the school where the kids went. And I asked her immediately, I asked, do, do you have any idea what this is all about? And, uh, and she just said, well, yeah, we've kind of been uncomfortable about it. But uh, her reaction was that, uh, you know, she said, yeah, you can talk to the teacher, but he's going to retaliate against the kids is what's going to happen. He's that kind of guy. So, wow. so that so came that, from the school administrator. Yeah. That's the justification is, is the retaliation is going to be against the kids. So it, mm -hmm. it's better just to, to stay away from it, stay hands off. Let's not even talk. So Tony, I want to, I want to go to you now at, at the chalkboard review. I know, I, I know both the chalkboard review and no left turn in education, both organizations uh, work with, with different school administrators and different school districts and, and, and research this type of thing all across the country. Is that Tony, what you hear in a, in a lot of cases uh, when it comes to stuff like this, whether it be the Ibram X. Kendi stamped kind of thing 
or whatever is the administrators just say, hey, we, we kind of got to kind of got to deal with kid gloves here because we do not want this to come back on the kids. Uh, on the kids, not necessarily. What we hear more often than not from the many different teachers and school districts and parents that we talk to is that when it comes to this really hyper racist uh, content that's in the schools that's passed off with this moral self-righteous authority to group individuals into these uh, groups on something as silly as skin color and then paint other groups as responsible for any you know statistical disparity between those two groups what we actually find is this heavy moral rhetoric that comes through you know we are an anti-racist school don't you want to be anti-racist oh what's the opposite of anti-racist racist gotcha and so a lot of these school boards we see this in indiana in iowa in the midwest we see this on the east coast the south even the pacific northwest uh these districts will hold press conferences or they'll hold school board meetings or uh, in a few cases open town kind of house open house kind of setups and they'll tell the parents quite frankly if there's a lot of outrage look this is a morally right thing and we believe in diversity we believe in equity we believe in inclusion and uh, if you don't like it, it's because you're a racist. I, I haven't really heard the we're not going to bring it up because there could be blowback on the kids thing. Uh, that's a very interesting take that sounds like there are some personal feelings on some of the administrators that got in the way, which uh, administrators with hurt feelings making rash decisions. Wow. Must be a day ending and why. Uh, <laughs> but all of those things considered, usually it's just some type of moral crusade. Uh, someone uh -huh. has too much time on their hands, doesn't have enough community responsibility or really anything to add. And so they're going to latch onto something that elevates them in public status. And this just happens to be the flavor of the day. Yep. Yep. Yeah. How, how, uh, how have you guys received this and, and, and the correspondence that you've seen from schools and school administrators, what kind of, uh, what kind of things are, are you guys seeing? Very similar to what Tony said. Um, we also hear, I, I hear a lot from, I'm, I'm the chief communications officer for the national, but I'm also the Virginia chapter president. So a lot of parents come to me in my locality and in, in all of Virginia. And we also hear a little bit of the, we don't want our kids to, um, get hurt by us being loud and outspoken about the books or anything the you know, right. the over sexualization of our kids. So it's a little bit of both. Um, I read the book and I come at it from a completely different perspective. So when you want to get to that place, I can talk about that. But really, we hear both. And exactly what Tony said, you know, there's this idea that if you are a good person, if you're a moral person, then you're going to do all these anti-racist things. And not being a racist is no longer good enough. Right. And that goes to what Chad's point was, too, is. Once they brand you as a racist, once they go to that level, now all of a sudden you, it, the onus is upon you to dig yourself out of that hole and, and they never give you any room to do it. And, right. and I think that's how they scare parents and, and, and children into, um, into going along with things like this. Into because, compliance. Yeah. 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 yeah well, once, Cause there's a very serious mob rule dynamic. So there's a very us versus them kind of pattern that comes into this where when it, with a lot of students, and I've actually seen this in these classrooms in person, where the teacher will kind of put this moral onus and moral impetus on this conversation so that if you are a student who disagrees with perhaps the expression of these ideas, which Kendi, as you said, is a lightning rod, he's the extreme you know, explanation of, of critical race theory ideas that came out of the 90s and as application to American schools, then you are immediately castigated. 
Uh, and you, there's almost this caste system where you have the, those who are virtuous students who are, who support LGBTQ with their uh, gay, lesbian, straight alliance clubs and who uh, support anti-racist efforts and, you know, say Black Lives Matter and hold up the fist and don't stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. And then you have the lower caste. You have the undesirables. You have the children of conservatives. You have the children of fundamentalist Christians, those horrible, racist, bigoted, blankety blanks who are shunned. And it has started ending in mob violence. I mean, we've called it out. No Left Turn in Education called it out. Uh, several other advocacy groups like Moms for Liberty, uh, Parents Defending Education have, have called out, rang the bell saying, if you allow this to continue in schools as object lessons. I mean, uh, both of, of you mentioned that uh, children don't really know what questions to ask. They don't really know how to approach some of these really disturbing topics at this age. Well, you're creating this moral absolutism that in New York and Pennsylvania and Oregon has actually ended in students beating the ever-living snot out of children as soon as they get out of the classroom because the student dared to disagree with an application to a topic. Right. Now, Moshe, I want, I want you to jump in here because I, I know your daughters were, or, or at least one of your, your daughters were assigned this in sixth grade, the the stamped for kids version. And, uh, and you recently had an article published on the uh, fair foundation against intolerance and racism Substack uh, page, which, which was an incredible article. And I would encourage anybody to read that. Uh, and that's, there's actually more to come about that. We'll talk about that a little bit later in our conversation, but Moshe, tell me a, a little bit about how you became aware of, uh, of this and, and maybe similar uh, similarities or differences to to what what Chad had uh, had happened with his daughter. Yeah, I think that my uh, my story is similar to Chad's, except for my daughter's a little little bit younger. She's she's twelve at the time, and a teacher assigned stamped for kids as an assignment. She brought it home, and I was curious about it, so I started reading it because it's very very simplistic. The chapters are only a few pages long, and I just wanted to see what it was all about. And I mean, starting from the first sentences, you can see the it, it's it's so hopelessly biased that it just it makes your hair stand on end. And so I said to myself, OK, if we're going to if we're going to play this game and they're going to sign this book, then and the idea, as as was previously stated here, is is just ideological conformity. Then let's read chapters ahead. So I said to my daughter, let's let's read ahead each night instead of you encountering this at the same time as everybody else, let's read ahead and let's talk about it. And, and I, I'm not an advocate of telling my kids what to think. I'm trying to teach them critical thinking or how to think. Mm -hmm. And so we would go ahead chapter by chapter and, um, and, and then I would encourage her to look up, you know, essentially the book is, is, is separated into two pieces. The first piece is basically his version of history, which is, so woefully skewed that it's not worth talking about. And the second piece is lionizing certain political figures as idols that kids should emulate. So the book ends, actually, the last sentence in the book, if I recall correctly, was be more like Angela Davis, be more like Patrice Cullors, who's the founder of Black Lives Matter. Angela Davis is a, is a, is a figure in history that during the 70s was jet-setting back and forth between every authoritarian communist state in the world. She was mm -hmm. flying between the USSR, East Germany, Cuba, heaping praise upon these dictators coming back and 
explaining how horrible this country was. Uh, she slept with one of the Angolan butchers. Like, yeah. like she, yeah. like there's a picture of her hung off of one of the angle who had butchered like 30 children. She's right. like draped over his arm. Right. So when you see that and you say to yourself that the book, this, this is just an, a microcosm of the problem, but the book says, you know, Angela Davis was, was an anti-racist who believed that, who believed in love and she was a political activist. So a kid reading this at age 10 would say, oh, great. She's a anti-racist political activist, but he wouldn't know what that really meant historically. So I became I became incensed, but I know that there's no way that you can argue reasonably with the teachers and administrators, especially if they're true believers. So I said, well, how can I help here? My daughter's already argumentative. And so she took you know her own research into the class. And every time this would be read as part of their assignment, she would bring up what she had you know learned. And it was like the uh, movie 12 Angry Men. Initially, she was all by herself. Mm-hmm. And after a while, the kids started to actually side with her until ultimately most of the kids were siding with her. And I asked her, the only thing I told her to ask the teacher was um, every day, whenever they discussed this book was, before we read this book, did we ever have any problems between the kids uh, racial incidents, bias incidents, gender incidents, anything. And the answer, of course, was no. But now we're sitting here arguing about that and seeing each other in terms of our skin color, whereas before we weren't. Is this really where we want to be? Um, and I decided that because my daughter's argumentative, she'll be fine. She can stand on her own feet. But my other daughters aren't argumentative. They, they are, they're, more, they're, they're more lighthearted. And I said to myself, if I'm already reading this book, let's turn this into a guide which I did, and FAIR has it now, they're going to publish it soon, chapter by chapter. And it's not a guide that's designed to, you know, go into your classroom and say this. It's essentially a list of questions that you can ask, like the aforementioned Angela Davis example, just say, who else did Angela Davis meet with? What else did the Black Panther Party stand for? What else is Patrice Cullors in trouble with for? You know, and, and, and anybody who asks those questions provokes a discussion and that discussion will allow free thinking people or kids even to to have a difference of opinion mm-hmm. without being disrespectful. Yeah. And, and I think I think that simplified version of it for kids is 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 bad enough. I mean, I, I, I really I, I haven't I haven't seen the kids version of it, but I've obviously seen the uh, adult version of it. And, and I believe Chad, uh, well, certainly based on the questions that that uh, we have in the, the the assignment, there's a lot more detail on the in his revisionist form of history when it comes to to certain figures in our in our country's history. Basically, it boils everything down to everything that has ever happened adversely to anybody. Uh, especially of African descent is all because of white racism. And, and there really is no other, there is no other viable explanation for anything else that's gone wrong with, with people of African descent than white racism. So when you and, and your daughter had the discussion, Chad, about this book after she'd read it, or even your son, what what kind of things did they tell you happened in the in these discussions? If these were the true classroom discussion questions that they had to work with, 
what kind of things were being said, you know, when it, when they, when the, when the teacher asked, you know, what kind of feelings did this garner for you? How do you feel about this country's history of racism? Uh, things like that. What kind of, what kind of things did that, did that bring up for them? Yeah, I think, um, you know, they, they really, uh, I don't want to say there was pushback, but everybody was really uncomfortable. And, and it sounded like even the, the teacher was uncomfortable or that's what was, that's, that's what was shared with me. Um, and he just kind of, uh, I don't know. I don't know if he just kind of lobbed it out there and, and let them kick it around a little bit. Didn't really provide, it seems like a lot of direction. And I think that's where, you know, if you look at some of the laws on the books, um, you know, especially in Iowa and where the kids go to school, you know, you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to promote this type of, you know, conflict. I don't know if you want to call it conflict, whatever you want to call it, but, uh, but you can't, you're also not supposed to, you know, if kids are just actively engaging in a discussion, then, then by all means, let them talk about it. Great. But I mean, I think this takes it, takes it way too far. This is, this is promoting that sort of uh, tension. Um, and, uh, you know, even, I mean, I, I know they have some, uh, um, you know, they have some kids in their school that are, that are, uh, you know, some of them are from, you know, from different countries. I can't, I'm not even sure where they're all from, but some of them are black. Some of them are, you know, um, it's, it's for, for a small town USA, it's, you know, it's, it's fairly diverse. I would say, I mean, just for, from considering what I grew up with, it's not inner city Omaha, but it's not, you know, it's not what I grew up with. Um, and that's great. That's, that's terrific. And they were just, they were saying that, everybody felt uncomfortable that none of those kids had even remotely felt any of what's being pushed on, on, on them with this, um, you know, and I just feel like, you know, the way I tried to explain, explain it to my kids is some people just use, whether it's a book or their version of history, whatever, right. Some people will use that, that excuse, whether it's fear, guilt, you know, whatever they're, they're going to, they're going to make you feel guilty and, and make you do something, or, you know, they're going to, uh, you know, use fear, right. For compliance sake, um, yeah. just that yeah. mob mentality. And really, I don't, I don't know, you know, th- this might be, yeah, I, I have no, I just don't really have any explanation for this. I, I I'm kind of the opposite of what he's talking about. You know, it's, you know, I think of people are, I'm kind of one of those guys that think that people are inherently good until you're not right. And, and this is kind of that, that whole Puritan mentality of, you know, people are always bad and then you've got to prove that you're good and, and there's no way to prove it except for complying, you know? So it's just, uh, well, man, it, I don't know. It, it really comes down to, yeah, you make a good point there. I mean, trying to prove a negative is, is always difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think the bigger issue here, I mean, that's bad enough in and of itself. I, I mean, causing that kind of discomfort in the classroom and, and doing those kind of things is just so, so very wrong. I mean, Tony and I talked about it back in our episode before, uh, the, you know, when it comes to the critical race theory mentality and, and the, uh, we're going to convince all of these kids that they're oppressed and they are oppressed because those kids are the oppressor. And exactly. w- with a with a book like this, and, and Tony can chime in more on this because he, he's he's one of the one of the premier experts on critical race theory in our education system. But with a book like this, 
There is no way to present this material in a classroom, especially a diverse classroom, without driving a wedge between Mm -hmm. like those kids that you were talking about, Chad. You and I both grew up in Northwest Iowa. And when we grew up in Northwest Iowa, there was very, very little diversity in color uh, or whatever. We were all Mm -hmm. pretty much white kids. I mean, there's no question about it. But now that's not the world in which we live anymore. And thank goodness for it. It's fine. Uh, But when there are people out there actively trying to drive that wedge in between us, that's a very, very bad thing. It does very bad things for us. Tony, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Talk talk about critical race theory and and what we're seeing. And then I'll go to Yael again. In classrooms around the country, when this kind of toxicity is forced upon our children. So it's really interesting that this comes up today. I had a discussion with a Washington Post reporter who was doing a story on all the teachers who have been fired around the country for political reasons, uh, most of them on the right, a few of them on the left. And uh, she was actually going over the, the part that she had written about me, which a lot of respect for any journalist who goes over what they've written about a person before they publish it. Uh, but the editor uh, on her piece had actually jumped in and uh, corrected me uh, in one section and said, well, yeah, Kenneth says critical race theory is being taught, but critical race theory is not being taught. Just ideas from it are being pulled. And and Ibram Kendi would say the same thing. My book's not critical race theory. I'm just drawing from some of the ideas. And this gets on my nerves because the right will actually, and I, I say the right here because usually the right's the ones that respond politically to this message, uh, whereas center and libertarian and et cetera will also um, will also respond. And usually the response is, well, you're right. It's actually the praxis of the idea or the pedagogy of the idea. That's not true either. Don't play into the game of letting someone muddy the waters of something that I've studied for eight years. It's a very simple theory. Critical race theory states one thing. Every single societal interaction, be that education, healthcare, economics, history, the study of any kind of mental or social faculty, whether young, old, internal, external, innate, or learned is a direct factor of systemic racism from white people. Everything, period. You you name it. Environmental racism, the way grass grows is directionally racist. And by the way, that is a paper out of the University of Kentucky. (laughs) Uh, I I don't doubt it. (laughs) There are so many weirdo things that come out of this theory. So when Ibram X. Kendi writes this book, it is indeed critical race theory. Uh, He's literally just parroting what Gloria Ladson Billings said, just in much simpler language. Uh, So the reason I bring that up is is a very particular reason. Someone will tell you it's not critical race theory and it's not all of these bad things. It's just an expression of someone's experiences. That's not true. If someone were to come in this call right now and say, look, I'm not a white supremacist. I just think that all other races are inferior to white people. (laughs) You would say, Okay, you're a white supremacist. Whether you want to use the term white mm-hmm. supremacy or not, you're a white supremacist and you're a yeah. yeah. You know, and it's the exact same thing with critical race theory. They'll say, oh, well, it's not all of these horrible things that came out of Paulo Ferrer and Brazil and Pedagogy of the Oppressed and, you know, Derek Bell and the permanence of racism, all of these other horrific things in our history. No, it's not actually this. It's not, you know, black supremacy, which, you know, because if you're Hispanic, you're genuinely only a pawn uh, to the Black Lives Matter and the critical race theory movement. 
if you're not black and you're not advocating that they're the most oppressed group of people on the face of the earth who deserve your admonition and worship, which is incredibly insulting to think that a person would need your help in order to exist, survive, and thrive, then you're some type of horrible, evil bigot who is forever tainted with the sour grapes of your ancestors, as the Old Testament calls it. So when looking at this literature and looking at these kinds of conversations, you the question you asked to me was whether this could be taught in an objective fashion. No, it's teaching children white supremacy. It is. It is teaching children that their value lies within the color of their skin and that that color somehow unites them to a culture. There's no such thing as white culture. I actually genuinely hate it when people say, well, me and the other white people. What do you mean other white people? Do you mean people from that area of Iowa who has nothing in common with someone from South New Jersey or from Northern Florida? Have you ever watched someone from the Northeast try to talk to someone from Atlanta? It's hilarious. They can't understand each other, much less someone (laughs) from Scotland compared to San Francisco. So teaching children this in order to seek after some type of racial judgment and justice is instead doing the exact opposite. And as you know, no parents left behind can illustrate that's the outcome of every single classroom instance. Right. And, and yeah, I, that's, he makes such a good point there. There's no way to objectively present this material and get away from the idea or, or try to present it in a manner that, that you're not driving that wedge. What yeah. kind of, so one of the big things for me when I, when I read this uh, and through this material was the fact, you know, he, he, Tony talked about, you know, uh, making the, uh, the, the way the a blade of grass grows into a racist mm-hmm. Some, somehow a, a racist thing, which be it funny, but if you read this book, he does everything in this book, but try to blame, yeah, blame everything that's ever happened to any person of African descent on that's racism. That's exactly what he does. And, and so talk a little bit about that and talk a little bit about the the things that you you guys are hearing in schools when it comes to the critical race theory and and that that claim that they can present this material in an objective way but there is really no way to do it right well so in in my experience they're not even claiming they can present it in an objective way they just claim these are tough conversations that we must have and the younger the better because you can be racist at 8 months of age you know um, you can learn racism that early. So, um, but I'll I'll back up a little bit and why I kind of came into this realm. I'm a data analyst. I have a math degree, and now, by the way, you know, math is racist. That's what congratulations. I've heard. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and I kind of got thrown into this because of COVID, of course. You know, like many of us, and my kids were learning at home. They had virtual learning, and I hosted a l- virtual learning pod in my house um, for my children and their friends. And then I started seeing what was happening. And I come from a Holocaust family. I still have um, three elderly relatives that are Holocaust survivors that are still alive. Okay. And so I come from it with a little bit of a different perspective because my son was told that he is inherently racist because his skin is light. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) stop right there. Um, so when I think about it from the perspective of being from a Holocaust family and being Jewish and literally the most persecuted people in in all of history and having to overcome the Holocaust, having to overcome, you know, everything before the Holocaust, 
and so many difficulties after the Holocaust. And we are not victims. I don't blame anyone else for my, I mean, I had a, I had a rough life. I was very poor. I grew up, I had to work three jobs. It took me five and a half years to finish college because I paid for it myself and worked three jobs. Um, I had a lot of adversity in my life. I have never once thought to blame someone else for that or to say, well, it's because I'm Jewish. I wasn't treated right. Mm -hmm. And if you think about, you know, I'll go to the whole reparations idea uh, because obviously that's what he wants, because he said there's, you know, whites have an unfair advantage. They have privilege that blacks don't have because they never got land. They never got any money. It it very much seemed like that throughout. That was a very big theme in the book. Oh, is, absolutely. Is that idea that it it it, it almost seemed like reparations uh, was going to be the sequel to this book. Absolutely. And, and, and I think you're probably right there. Go ahead. I didn't mean that, to that's my guess but. that that's the next book coming from him. So if you know a little bit about the Holocaust, you know that those who actually managed to survive got, and still those who are still alive, got payments from Germany. My three relatives are still getting payments from Germany, okay? Mm -hmm. Because not only uh, what happened to them, but when they came back to their homes in Europe, the neighbors have taken everything for themselves. The governments took everything for themselves. So they came back to nowhere. They had nowhere to go. And then they got shipped to Israel, to Australia, to the U.S., to, you know, different kind, different parts of the world. So kind of like in slavery that they did all that work and then wouldn't even, when they finally got emancipated, got no land and no money, kind of the idea was that, you know, the Jews came back to their homes and they had nothing. So Germany has and is still paying to those who have actually survived the Holocaust. It's not a lot of money. It's a fixed amount. It, it doesn't go up with inflation yeah. or anything like that. It's a very, very fixed, small amount. But their children and their grandchildren are not receiving payments. The payments stop the minute that Holocaust survivor dies. Sure. Okay. So if you try to kind of take that into the whole reparations idea, you know, slavery Obviously, the hor the most horrible stain in this country's history. Absolutely, and, I don't think anybody can disagree with correct. that. Correct. And but think of how long ago it was. And yes, the civil rights movement and the Civil Rights Act did not actually happen until 1964. And even you know since then, there are a lot of issues, and there still are issues. We're, we're not gonna. Yeah. No one's gonna say that there is no racism. There's there absolutely is racism. Is it systematic? No, no, no longer. Was it? Did it used to be systematic? Yes, absolutely, 100%. Not right. anymore. Well, so and that's, we, can't, we can't keep blaming and saying, we're, I'm a victim, I'm a victim. It leads us nowhere. Right. Yep. I, you know, I, I talk a lot on the podcast about the perpetual victim mentality and how it, it leads to nothing good for anybody. Just like I, I said earlier, when you convince one group of people that they're a victim and the other person or the other group that they're a victimizer, the only thing you're doing is setting up that victim class that you have now created for failure. You're, you're giving them an excuse to fail, and, and, it, and it hurts. Now, Moshe, one thing that you had mentioned in the, uh, the article that you had written that meant a lot to me, and I think a lot of people need to take notice of, especially, is... When Kendi in this book talks about the very first racist or claims to know the very first racist or not know, but know of, he, he completely ignores the thousands of years of slavery that took place prior to that. 
uh, Dezus Rurara or whatever his name is. And then the fact that there's still slavery going on today completely, completely misses the mark on that and just uses that one segment of slavery and then tries to tie that solely to Western Europeans and and then the, the future of America. Why don't you talk a little bit about that for me, if you would, Moshe? Right. So Kendi's history is is cherry picked. So he's talking about the origins of of chattel slavery, the first person to to tie skin color to slavery. Yeah, that Portuguese he, guy. Yes. And he paints it as a as a uniquely white institution. And there was obviously uh, white people buying slaves, but a larger group of people buying slaves were the Arabs. And the Arabs bought slaves in larger numbers than the Europeans or the Americans did. And it's not mentioned at all. In fact, today in some in some countries in that region, there's active slavery, as, as you just said, and it's not discussed at all. So essentially what you're what you come away with is is this a, a scholarly work that's designed to look into an issue, namely the history of slavery? Who's responsible for it? Where is it going on? And if it's and if it is, and it is in fact a reprehensible institution, that we should work to eliminate it wherever it exists today. Uh, but that's not what's going on here. What's going on here is that the institution is painted as a uniquely American or uniquely white European invention. Um, nothing else from anywhere else in the world is discussed. The fact that it's going on today is not discussed. And so you see that it's essentially a cudgel that he can use to beat people over the head with. And the, the ultimate result is that this is a anti-morality or an anti-ethic, because if you have a moral stance, let's say thou shall not kill is a moral stance or an ethical proposition. You can argue, we can argue about it, and you can argue about it to me from a biblical perspective, you can argue about it from an atheist perspective, from many, many different, from a sociological perspective. But when you have claims that are so obviously cherry-picked, or a claim that's non-provable, or a claim from which you can't dissent without falling into a trap of, if you don't agree with me, then you're a bad person, which is what these guys are up to. Yep. You've, you've set yourself up and you set yourself up for for ultimate victory from people who are too afraid to say anything and vilification from those who will say something. The the, the only thing I, I would want to add to all of this before, as you said, you, you're setting up a victim class. That's true. But if you look at it from a very cynical perspective, what is setting up your own people as a victim class in the face of twenty-five dollars to $35,000 an hour speaking fees? And what is it to raise money off of dead children when you can buy yourself $12 million worth of houses in a year? It really is nothing more than a shakedown. And this, I think, off of that point is why I disagree with you on the idea of just teaching our kids how to think instead of teaching them what to think. In order to teach, and I, I'm not trying to like put words in your mouth, but just to kind of build on that idea, it's like a virtue in education right now. You have to teach kids how to think. If you just teach them what to think, 
then there'll be goobers who lick fire hydrants. You got to teach them how to think. And that's not true. Like, remember when you guys learned like multiplication tables and your brain, because of learning your multiplication tables, learned how multiplication just kind of worked on its own. It like connected some dots by itself by teaching our children genuine historical data and facts, not omitting anything. And as you talked about, you know, the, the whole history of slavery from all cultures, all peoples, the brutal violence that we've inflicted on each other through the innate nature of man to cause harm is cause for celebration that America has come as far as it has and celebration of individualism and of meritocracy and of liberty and of individual rights and the compassion that came out of Western civilization and Judeo-Christianity. And it's within those things that I think that children need to understand that our society is so exceptionally unique and that by just telling kids, well, you can just make up your own mind about this every time. Look, as far as I'm concerned, a lot of individuals on the the side of this critical race theory and collectivism, some of my colleagues would call it cultural Marxism, although I I have an issue with that only because I, I don't often see secret villain motive as much. Sometimes I think they're often a little too stupid to give them credit that they're master villains. However, as an opposition to that, we should be promoting virtue, of course, acknowledging the rough parts of our history. You know, never, never once should we say that we don't have mistakes, but it's how we've grown from those mistakes where our honor rests. You know, it's how we aided the survivors of the Holocausts and and of the Holdemore and of the the Chinese famine and of the many other atrocities throughout history that give us Right. That give us our national sense of pride. It's not an arrogant pride. It's not a, a middle finger type of pride that, that, you know, shows love and joy in a color of skin, but it's something that's unifying. It's the American dream for all creeds. There's one thing I'd, I'd say to that by, by teaching them how to think versus what to think. I certainly would, would agree with everything you just said that, that enlightenment values, let's call them enlightenment values. Mm-hmm. Or liberal values, small L liberal values, yeah, the are something are, are something to are something to to hold in in high esteem. But that's what I'm saying. In, in a sense, when my daughter would come home and we would talk about this, and she would say, "My God, look at this slave trade that that was enacted, and look at what was done." And it's all because of the values that this country was based upon. This country was stamped from the beginning. She didn't say that, but that's what somebody reading this book would say. Mm-hmm. And the retort would simply be, did you know slavery exists today? No, I didn't. Okay, let's look at the countries that have slavery today. Which of them subscribe to enlightenment values? It turns out that none of them do. Is slavery a, an active institution in any country that subscribes to enlightenment values or small L liberal values? No, it's not. Well, then, how can we have a proposition that says that slavery is based on enlightenment values? You, it's just simple Socratic method yeah. type of things mm-hmm. that teaches them to look further than the grossly mm-hmm. underfunded claims that Kendi makes or anybody. I would makes. say that I was more clarifying how you phrase that because we often we'll use the same words that uh, many of my uh, progressive education colleagues, uh, I guess we're not colleagues anymore, counterparts. Uh, might say and and you know did, did they finally well, kick you out of the club, Tony? Thinking. Yeah, they did. They revoked my membership. Now I'm, you know, just a half Cherokee writing a, or running an education publication. What are you going to do? Yeah, right. <laughs> I have a couple of comments on the um, cultural Marxism, the class first. So anyone who has read about 
critical race theory and its origin critical theory knows that the only reason they're using race in this country is because Marxism would not work in this country and it's on its own merits because it fails and it's going to fail every single time. So the, the only reason it's critical race theory is because they found that in this country, racial tensions are what work and get get people you know to work mm-hmm. against one another. I'll say this, that Kendi, and I'm glad you brought up that he makes 20,000 or more for a 40-minute um, Zoom call. I'll say this, he has no desire for racism to end because if racism actually ends... He'd be out of a job. <laughs> he and yeah. all of the others, all the DEI uh, professionals, they're all going to be out of a job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just... Um, mind-boggling to me how it's not crystal clear to just about everyone that this is just a money-making scheme yeah, yeah. well i think well, i i think thomas soul said it best when, when he when he said you know what racism in this country is not dead but it's on life support it was nearly dead before people like you know and he didn't i don't think he he actually pointed out Eva Max kendi but if you look at all the race hustlers that that have made a name for themselves in getting rich on the back of racism, they they are the ones that have truly kept that alive. And actually, Kendi points it out and, and tries to dispel that theory and 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 actually attacks Bill Clinton mm-hmm. for saying what was it that he said? Uh, the only way we can we can get rid of uh, racism is to quit focusing on it. But I mean, you know, he he attacked basically everybody, anybody that. He didn't deem as 100% anti-racist, which basically the only person he didn't attack in history in the book was Angela Davis and himself. You know, the reality of it is this. When it comes down to it, you know, the the, the D-Rate the 8 podcast is, is really all about bettering the world one attitude at a time. I have never met a single person over the course of my life that has made the world better by trying to just focus solely upon the negative attributes of everybody else and not even give acknowledgement. Cause we know, I mean, I don't know about you, but I I'm fairly certain you, 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 and you and everybody else I've ever met in my life. Not one of them is perfect. Every single one of us, probably me more than most have had very negative things that, have happened in my past. Some of them my fault, some of them not. But I've made a lot of bad decisions over the course of my life. In this case, Kendi looks at people like Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, Richard Nixon, uh, Booker T. Washington, Frederick Douglass, uh, uh, W.D. Du Bois, uh, every, every single person he mentions in this book, except for Angela Davis, he basically discredits everything good that they ever did and just basically said that they're either an all and out racist they're a, a, a an, an assimilationist and which makes them the devil as well right. and that type of mentality does not make us a better country you know he, he completely racist. he completely discounts the fact that we are the only country on the planet that lost nearly three quarters of a million people, countrymen, brothers fighting brothers, you know, neighbors fighting neighbors to rid our country of the stain that is is slavery. 
So, you know, he is the we, real racist here. He thinks of correct. his own people as losers and victims that can never amount to anything and will only be saved by white people who will take action against racism. Well, and, and actually, another point that he makes in the book that really bothers me a, a lot is or calls people of color that don't hate white people mm -hmm. and people that try to assimilate. He basically calls them a sellout and they're not real. Correct. You know, they're not the, the real blacks. They're not real Africans. It shows you one thing, though, that's very critical that a lot of philosophers have said over the course of history, and that is that ideas really, really do matter. So and, and, and not always letting things go and being and, and, and leaving things up to chance works. I think this is an example of that, because I look, I'll, I'll give you my bias. I'm a free market guy. I, I believe in the free market. I believe that competition is great and that the best ideas float to the top most of the time and so on and so forth. And I'm old enough to remember 15 years ago when they started offering, you know, these the degrees in subjects like this, gender studies, racial studies. And you'd have these, you know, blue haired graduates coming out. And in my mind, as a working person at the time, I said, this problem will be solved by the market because they're going to graduate and they're going to get job flipping burgers and their parents are going to say, thanks for the $150,000 loan you just gave me. No more of this. If you want you know, to me to pay for your school, then you better you know, do something productive with it. But in fact, what happened was that they graduated and they created for themselves spaces mm -hmm. within institutions. And once that grabbed and took hold, you find yourself in a scenario where any corporation you go to today, any school you go to today has a DEI consultant, oftentimes making as much as vice presidents or people who are, you know, doing quote unquote real work. And you say to yourself, how did we let that happen? We didn't confront these ideas. We thought that it would take care of itself, but bad ideas can take root just like good ones can. Yes. And the that's fact a very that fair is popular point. is, is proof of that. Yep. No, that's a, that's a very, very good point. All right, my friends, uh, we're getting close to the end of the hour. So what I want to do is I just want to take a couple minutes. Give me your last and final thoughts on this. I think we all agree that this is a uh, this is a very big problem in our country. The, uh, you know, uh, books like Stamped, it's certainly not exclusive to Ibram X. Kendi's material. Uh, there's there's more than plenty of it out there as people can find out about, uh, you know, whether it be talking to, you know, the folks at the Chalkboard Review, like Tony, talking to Yael at, at the uh, No Left Turn in Education. People in, in real life are seeing it in, in everyday uh, America, just like Chad. Uh, we're seeing in, in, in Moshe up in, uh, up in New Jersey. This is, not, this is not secluded to one topic. This is not secluded to one area. Uh, this is uh, not even secluded to just the public school system. Uh, you know, most of the uh, kids are in, in private school in, in up in New Jersey, and this is happening. So give me your final thoughts. I'm going to start with Tony. Give me your final thoughts on this, and, and where do you think this is going? What, is, what does the future look like? How, how do we keep combating this? Well, uh, I can kind of get my final thought on the idea that in addition to for, for some of the leaders, it's definitely become a bit of a money making scheme. Uh, but for many individuals, this is simply religion. It is the absolute faith aspect of their life. They wholly believe in it. It is a mess. It is a method of obtaining social and moral status. 
that is a method of uh, earning virtue and doling it out to those who uh, they see fit. And the funniest thing about this is that it genuinely cannot survive on its own. It's eating itself, which is really the best news for everyone is that, you know, we're seeing this in Texas, we're seeing this in, in Florida, we're seeing this around the country. This particular movement has lost the Hispanic community pretty much single-handedly. Uh, and it's funny to watch with all the Hispanic families and teachers that I work with that are uh, becoming just so dissatisfied with this kind of outlook and this kind of action and every other group that doesn't get in lockstep and doesn't want to be belittled into that their color is their only important value to keep combating it. Uh, I offer two pieces of advice. Number one, don't do anything crazy. You don't need to stand up and shout from the rooftops. You don't let the left act crazy. And I, I don't mean the left in, in the, the political sense that I you know want you to go around, you know, fighting with your neighbor and your brother. But let those who want to, you know, get upset and call you a racist and everything do so. Uh, I guarantee you that the third party looking on is not going to see you as the way they are painting you. And the second thing I would encourage you to do is to keep reading, investigate, you know, uh, keep making sure that you're following what No Left Turn in Education is doing. Follow what we're doing at the Chalkboard Review. Uh, follow groups like Parents Defending Education, Moms for Liberty, so that you can be informed. Your ability to be informed is your greatest freedom in this nation. And then also to use that information to govern this nation. Do so. Get involved with the primaries. Do not wait until November to vote. If you don't go and vote in the primaries, you really kind of lose the right to complain about the way the country is going, at least yeah. politically. So Very good that's point, Tony. kind of my follow up there. Awesome, man. I appreciate it. So Tony with the chalkboard review, that's awesome. Chad, let me go to you now. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, a couple of points you guys brought up. Um, teach your kids how to think, you know, I mean, that was, that was kind of something you kind of drilled home, but um, we've gotten kind of lazy as uh, uh, you know, the, we're the, the Google culture or whatever. Right. So people aren't really looking for um, their own information. They're just, you know, reading somebody else's, they pick up a book, they go with what's easy. I don't know if this assignment was one of those easy assignments, um, you know, that uh, was just at the top of the best sellers or best books to push list. And some of that is, you know, it's just inner, uh, inner school politics, even or book club politics or whatever. But I mean, I, that's what I would say. I think uh, we've had some good conversation here today, but really, you know, teach kids how to think. And, and so that when, when you, you don't, you know, like um, you were just saying before, you don't have to completely lose control and people, and you do have that army of people, uh, bystanders that are, that are just saying, this is ridiculous. Um, if we start to lose that where we're all just a bunch of drones and we've all read the same pamphlet, I don't know. I don't know what you do at that point, but it's, it really is. It comes down to the currency. It's, it's all, it's all about power, no matter how you cut it. It's all about you giving up or somebody taking your, your power away. And so control what you can control. You know, this was one of the things that, uh, yeah, I was, like I said, it's, it's in your backyard. It's, it's everywhere. It's not, it's not just in, just in the big cities. It's not just on the East coast, West coast. It's, it's everywhere. It's so it's uh, wake up, you know, get no. ready. No, that's a good point. And, and, and I think, I think it really comes down to one of the things I talk a lot about and that's individual accountability, Chad. And, and I think you made a great point there, you know, make sure you're involved, make sure you're teaching your kids how to think, get involved with them. Don't let them just take the easy route. Don't, don't just pick the top line on Google and, and expect to get 
expect that that's going to be the best information all the time. That's uh, that's some really good points. Moshe, let's go to you. Let's, uh, what's your final thoughts here this afternoon? Uh, two final thoughts. The first is that I highly recommend John McWhorter's book, Woke Racism, where he describes the this as a cult akin to a fundamentalist religion with all of the suspension of your rational faculties that that implies, meaning that you are not going to go into their den and argue with them based on reason or logic or factual history and actually get anywhere. You're not going to make any conversions there in that church. And so what you have to do is work around them to the extent that you can, and they will eventually eat themselves as every fundamentalist cult always does. When they run out of enemies, they turn on each other as this, who's the most high. The second part, or the second thing I would say is that the values that we hold dear, enlightenment values, individualism, objectivity, reason, rational discourse, civil discourse, et cetera, et cetera, are under attack and they have to be defended very, very strongly. And so when using these tools in debates, embody what that means. I I don't like when I see parents at school board meetings, you know, red faced and screaming. I understand the frustration, but that's not what wins public debates. What wins public debates is simply showing how ridiculous and how counterproductive these ideas are. And so we have to defend these ideas because if we don't, a vacuum is created and bad ideas fill their place. That's a great point. Mm-hmm. Great point. Very good. Uh, very good stuff, Moshe. Thank you. And Yael, what, uh, what's your final thoughts here this afternoon? Well, in addition to all the brilliant ideas that I just heard and I concur with, Um, I would like to say that it does not take, you don't have to be someone special, a doctor, a lawyer, a politician, or a professor to be effective. You know, just regular moms and dads can set an example for their children and go speak at school board meetings and not yell, obviously, and scream. Go speak with logic and reasoning and facts and data and you know, learn like um, Tony said, but then pass on that knowledge to others and share that with others and encourage others. And tell, because I always hear about people saying, well, I can't do anything to change anything. I'm just one person. Well, you're just one person. I'm just one person. All of us together are a whole lot of people. That's a great, and yep, yep. The other thing is I just want to give people hope because like the, the those before me said, they will eat each other. It's already happening. I have a lot of gay friends that are being called transphobes because they don't want to have relationships with women who identify as men and vice versa for my lesbian friends. So they're already, it's already happening. They're already attacking one another. So a lot of work on our end, but a little bit of patience and hope as well. Yeah. No. And, and so everybody made very, very good points. And, and, and I, I keep on going back to my motto on the, on the, uh, or my mission statement on the D-Rate the Eight podcast is bettering the world one attitude at a time. We do not win this with the kind of negativity that created it. And if we all stick together and we all keep level heads and we don't be that parent screaming at the, uh, at the school board meeting, and we don't get belligerent in in arguments with our neighbor and, and and things like that. We will win because you're right. As Tony made Tony made the point, he made it the first time we we had a conversation on the podcast, and uh, and he made it again today. Crazy will take care of itself. 
you know, we don't have to convince everybody they're, you know, that these people are crazy. They show themselves to be crazy. And, Take a look uh, at the trolls on my Twitter account. Seriously, like go search. Uh, <laughs> they have like different versions for my name. Yeah. So search uh, my trolls. You And I blocked them a while ago and yeah. I just saw today they're I, they just they can't they can't they they, they, they find new relax. ways to, they're beside they, themselves well the way i like to put it they find new ways to show their ass every day you know so many disappointed parents out there that's for sure <laughs> so well my friends i i can't thank you enough for the time today i think we had a phenomenal discussion i i encourage everybody to check out the show notes for this particular episode to find out more about the chalkboard review find out more about Yale, No Left Turn and Education Organization. Uh, Moshe's got some incredible stuff on the FAIR Substack, and and what he's got coming out is even going to be a better tool for parents to use when they see a book like uh, or, or, or an assignment for their children, like whether it be stamped or stamped for kids. So, so there is a lot of good information that's going to be coming out uh, on this in the show notes. You know, and then I also want to mention an organization that I do a lot of work with, Braver Angels, and the things, you know, Yael said, we may just think of ourselves as one person uh, that doesn't have a lot of time to do a lot of things. But, you know, just participating a little bit, getting involved in organizations, commenting and being a part of an organization like Braver Angels and, and their new initiative, Braver Politics. There's so many good things that can come out of that because, yes, there is strength in numbers. And we are definitely the ones that are on the right side of history. We are the ones that have the more level, more reasonable, and more logical approach to uh, to things like this. So, friends, thank you so thank much you. for joining me today. And uh, I appreciate it. And I look forward to talking to each and every one of you again. Friends, I just want to say again how very, very grateful that I am that you took the time to join me for another Derate the Hate podcast episode. Please, share us with your friends. Share us with your network. If you haven't done so already, subscribe and talk your friends into doing the same. Feedback and ratings, wherever you get your audio, always greatly appreciated. And with that, I will just say get out there. Be kind to one another. Be grateful for everything that you've got. And remember, it's up to you to make each and every day the day that you want it to be. Friends, if there was anything in this episode that provided exceptional value to you, I would love to hear about it. Email me, wilk at wilksworld.com, or hit me up on most social media platforms. With that, I am going to back on out of here, and we will catch you next week. Take care.